Hello and welcome on The Barricades. This is the second segment of our conversation with Pat Byrne on the current situation in Ukraine. We're discussing the war, uh, which is at the moment the most important event in global politics. Uh, and uh, Pat, I would like to ask you to please, uh, you know, give us your take about the kind of the, the history behind that war <clears throat> that started uh, a little less than a week ago. Well, obviously, I mean, um, you could go back in history to, um, you know, the, the the after the First World War and so on. But I, I think that um, <clears throat> it's better that we perhaps uh, restrict this to what's happened since the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. Um, Or maybe at the break uh, of the <clears throat> breakup of the Soviet Union when, you know, this meeting in Reykjavik yeah, and, and exactly. you know, the, the promises yeah, the, that were made to Gorbachev. <clears throat> On the sixth of the, yeah, when they had that meeting over the sixth that weekend, the sixth to the eighth of December, yeah, exactly when they when when in fact in fact the actual <clears throat> the Soviet Union was was broken up illegally. That's the first That's thing true. we should say about that. Um, and uh, what happened was that the um, uh, earlier in the year uh, there had been a referendum where seventy five percent of the Soviet Union had voted to keep the Soviet Union, quite specifically in a referendum. And yet the leaders of the three main republics uh, in the Soviet Union, um, Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine, um, got together and um, basically cobbled up the decision to basically end the Soviet Union, break it up. And, um, and unfortunately, yeah, <clears throat> you know, Gorbachev, who I have to say was, um, uh, you know, made so many mistakes in his, uh, uh, you know, he did some good things in um, Yeah, but mostly mistakes, let's be honest. Well, no, no. Some of the things he did were good, but he didn't, and his intentions were good. But he made so many mistakes, which we don't have time to go into yeah. here now. But, but yeah. one of them was that he was the president, he was the president of, the, of the Soviet Union. And his job, I mean, if there's nothing else you do as a president, is defend your constitution. So when these three leaders did what they did, in, and they, they tried to take advantage of all the... Um, confusion that had been caused by that stupid coup in the in, in August 91 they um then he didn't do anything about it he just accepted that these three yeah. leaders against all the rest of the, the Soviet Union that they should, they they could decide yeah. to break it up like that yeah, yeah. i just want to add here that he could have at least reacted against yeltsin <laughs> because it was yeltsin who pulled the carpet from beneath his 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 exactly. feet so to yeah, say yeah, right exactly. like this is how it yeah. all started as you said we don't have time to actually dive no. into it right now sure. but we're going to do that we're going to save that for all another right. program that's definitely something that deserves <clears throat> uh, a revisit so yeah so the soviet union broke up um, in very strange circumstances without the support of the people and that's a, that's an important thing to say and and that is left over in, in a, a lot of people's minds especially in russia um <clears throat> you know the the they don't ex many people don't really accept that that happened i'm not even talking about the communist versus you know the the left and right issues here but just the mm -hmm. the actual national uh, uh country uh link up federation uh, set up so i mean <clears throat> so that is a, that's a huge problem that's hanging over and underlies some of the aspects of these things. But since then, what, <clears throat> what was very strange was that the, the America helped behind the scenes. America was working very closely with Yeltsin and no doubt we're advising him and um, uh, helping with this breakup and, and the transition that followed it. <clears throat> um, and despite the fact that Yeltsin did everything the Americans wanted um, And uh, to the point where, you know, he, he uh, privatized the economy with the shock doctrine and 
and all the rest of it just drastically impoverished the population. The same process happened, of course, in Ukraine. Um, the fact that Yeltsin did these things, um, behaved like a puppet of the Americans, wasn't good enough for the Americans. <clears throat> First of all, they, despite the fact it wasn't America that broke up, there's a, this is myth that America broke up the Soviet Union. It wasn't. It, was in, it internally imploded. It wasn't the Americans who decided this. <clears throat> but they treated, they treated Russia like a defeated enemy. Um, mm. This is contrary. It's funny. I, I watched this um, an interview recently with James Matlock, who was the ambassador in um, <clears throat> the Soviet Union through most of Gorbachev's term. And he was he was explaining how because he doesn't agree at all with this strategy that America's been following and NATO and so on, expanding eastwards. And he said that actually what what all they're thinking was was that <clears throat> that the that the following the breakup of the Soviet Union. Um, that the, this was a golden opportunity for Europe to to come together and to have a common security organization. And whether that was in the form of, of NATO or whether it was in the form of an, you know, a, an increased powers for the OSCE or, or whatever, that was what they, the, even the diplomats on the American side, were expecting to happen. So that everybody would be in in NATO or would be in some other Let, let me just interject here that there was there, there was an attempt to do that. There was this attempt to create so-called hexagonale, which uh, then the Germans basically split up uh, right after the uh, re reunification, which was like Italy, Yugoslavia, Poland, and, uh, well, I, I don't remember all the countries. I think Austria was there. But anyway, this was in Czechoslovakia also before the split. So uh, there was an, a, a kind of attempt to do that, but it was immediately shattered by Germany after the reunification. And, and you know, afterwards, they, of course, went ahead to actually split up Yugoslavia, which also ended up in, in a violent, sure. uh, you know, violent war. So it's, you know, so and Russia wanted to join NATO. They actually, um, yeah, that, yeah. That, Russia, people don't, know, second, don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that was a second application to join NATO. Yeah. Uh, Russia applied to join NATO in 1954. So um, anyway, so they wanted to join NATO and Russia couldn't understand, Yeltsin couldn't understand why America was treating um, Russia with such contempt and in such a hostile way. Now, <clears throat> in a way, it was almost like um, it was like they were kicking the dog while it was down, you know, that kind of mm, attitude. Mm, mm. It was kind of arrogance of, uh, of uh, Russia. You know, America had this arrogance that we're now the only superpower going to be the American century. American and exceptionalism, is, isn't it? Like, yeah, uh, this was going to be the American, you know, this is going to be the um, uh, the Pax Americana, they called them, things mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, this naturally uh, caused a lot of growing resentment in Russia. And the, and the population were in such poverty because of these um, neoliberal doctrines imposed and privatization and all the ripoff of the state assets into hands of a few gangsters and oligarchs. Um, so Yeltsin increasingly lost popularity in the country. Um, and uh, even he began to complain towards the end of his period of office, the end of the 90s. He began to complain about the way he was being treated. So when, when P Putin took over from Yeltsin, he, he had some illusions. He still hoped that he'd have a better relationship with the yeah. US. But it just continued. And then, <clears throat> so then it, what happened with him was P Putin came under tremendous public pressure um, <clears throat> from the public in the, in, um, in, the, in, in Russia. And uh, they were, they were, as I said, the people were get very discontented with the oligarchs, with the political and military weakness of the Russian Federation and so on. So he began to reassert Russian state control. Uh, be, first of all, by bringing the oligarchs under control. Um, for example, he, he sent agents around 
to different Western nations and threatened oligarchs that they they could keep their ill-gotten gains because they <clears throat> these oligarchs. You know, some of it, some of it, like uh, just for cigarettes and soda, that's enough. But, yeah, you know, a couple yeah. of millions, right, at the yachts or whatever. <clears throat> but otherwise, everything had to go back in yeah, under the form back of direct the, foreign no, investment. Right? They could they could keep them, but as long as they brought they repatriated the money. Now these guys, these oligarchs had. Not only stolen them billions, but they deliberately took them out of the country to make sure that nobody could get it back. Mm -hmm. But they didn't count on the fact that um, Yeltsin was willing. Sorry, uh, Putin was willing to use his uh, favorite methods, no doubt, from his years in the KGB. So as a result, they, um, they, the, 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 the ones who refused to do that, um, some of them were eliminated, some of them were imprisoned, as an example to the others. So of course, in this way, Putin brought the oligarchs under his control, effectively. And because of that, um, he also uh, reasserted uh, Russian, you know, sovereignty and tried to uh, deal with some of these, um, you know, struggles that were happening in Chechnya and so on. And as a result, he became very popular <clears throat> among among um, R Russian people. But on the other side, um, the, he became an enemy to to the Americans because <clears throat> they they saw. And this is a, a lot of people are wonder wonder why the Americans are having this war with Russia. You know why why this constant conflict with Russia, particularly as China is now <clears throat> becoming a, an increasing threat to American control and, and American uh, uh, heavy. And they wonder why is it are doing this with Russia? Why they're not making alliance with Russia? The first alliance that Nixon in the early nineteen seventies. <clears throat> and the reason is because um, America basically decides on its on who it supports and who it opposes based on whether it can control them or not. And <clears throat> do you remember me and you had a discussion um, a couple of months ago about the summit for democracy? Yeah. In in that That's was actually last month. It seems, yeah, it seems a long time ago, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we we both analysed. We were looking at who was invited to that summit, and we both noted that. And we were thinking about why was it that Poland was invited, but Hungary was not, despite the fact that... Exactly. That that, on, that's on, that's on a most control metric, factor. Yeah. On most metrics, uh, Poland's pretty well similar to um, Hungary. And the, and the Polish regime admires a lot of what Hungary does and probably would wish to emulate it. But as you said, it was the control factor that Poland's willing to do whatever America tells it to do, whereas Hungary's not. So it's not about it's not about human rights, democracy, or anything else. It's all about does do these countries bow the knee to America or not? And that and, and yeah. obviously quite clearly, <clears throat> Russia was not doing that under Putin. And that's the that's the basis for why they demonize him and yeah. But I want to I want to ask you here: Do you do you think that there's also an element because obviously that in in terms of clear <clears throat> geopolitical. Uh, this word became very fashionable, by the way, and many people use it without really knowing what it means. But uh, anyway, in clear geopolitical struggle, okay, that's that's obviously the case that you know there's the empire and the mm. empire has to control, divide, and rule, and all the rest of it. That's true. But do you think that there's also an element of some kind of ideological, um, how to say this, like that they they are kind of getting getting carried away by their own propaganda, by their own ideology. You know, we we just mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago this American, or in the previous segment, really, the American exceptionalism, the American, you know, Pax Americana, the the Washington Consensus, and 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 the idea that now there's the West, or as the Russian uh, the Russians like to refer to it, the collective West with its one 
centralized uh, in terms of foreign policy decision-making center, which is Washington. Mm-hmm. And this is, as Fukuyama put it in his you know, terrible mm-hmm. book, which aged really badly, The End of History. Right, and that, that that's going to be just liberal democracies all over the world, and that they are just, you know, I mean, many of those people could just perhaps, I don't know, I'm asking, what's your take? Could be ideologues that they are just Western chauvinist kind of, you know, supremacists that 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 treat people in Ukraine, in Eastern Europe, in Russia like other, you know, they refer to them as, as, as like some sort of untermenschen, like not well, there, or not publicly, no but that's yeah. what they think about it. <clears throat> There's no doubt that, that, that racist attitudes among among the right who control American politics that these racist that there's um, that racist attitudes do exist um, and come out at certain points. But I don't know if this explains this current conflict. After all, <clears throat> look at the Japanese. You know, the Japanese were regarded by the Westerners until they became modern and rich. They were regarded as uh, uh, even worse than the Chinese in some ways, particularly mm-hmm. since the Second World War and all the brutality that they inflicted on Western troops and so on. So, um, <clears throat> you know, there was a great hatred for Japanese people in uh, layers of society in the West. So, um, but look at how they treat them now and how they view them now. So I think it's it's not, I, I think it's more an economic and political uh, thing, but obviously racism no, uh, more, is Absolutely, there. but yeah. there is an element of that. Do you agree with me? Of I course. mean, it's, it's just my uh, Well, I, I don't here. know. I, I don't know. I mean, there's also... There's also the stupid hangover that, that I noticed in some of these banners on these demonstrations this last weekend um, that people had put Putin and then they put a hammer and sickle right, and a red hammer yeah, and sickle yeah. on Putin's face, like which is crazy, ridiculous. crazy. Yeah. yeah, but that but so it shows you that there's a hangover of um, anti-Russian uh, feeling from the from the Cold War. So you know, there's all these. But I mean, one of the things, one factor that I think is true, what you're saying there is this question of democracy, or, you know, the capitalist form of democracy. Um, because Putin, there's no question that Putin basically um, moved away from the standard form of capitalist democracy pretty quickly um, towards a, a system of manipulated control where where basically he took over the media, which if you don't, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a government-controlled media, you can't really operate a capitalist democracy. <clears throat> and... Um, uh, and and it basically he came to dom- dominate the society and the administration, and he's been in power ever since. So of course, you know he's been in power for since he came to power. He never, you never never lost it. So um, I think that that is um, that is a factor in this. Of course, we're about to see that come in America, aren't we? So it's not going to be very long that they're, they're going to be able to. They, so they are imitating. They're moving that direction as well. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, by the way, I just want to interject here, Maria yeah. uh, Chernot, my colleague, that is unfortunately was not uh, available this uh-huh. evening for uh, this recording. Uh, she made that point uh, in one of our programs that we recorded at the beginning uh, during uh, last weekend. Uh, that you know, if you want to, uh, if you want to confront Putin and you want to be like you know more democratic then don't be him you know don't mimic him but like be more democratic and lead by example you know sure. those people that uh, th- that you want to sort of uh, uh mobilize in favor of democracy and and so on uh, but that's that's not really happening what we see is growing authoritarianism in the west i mean sure. th- there's no exactly. no, no time for us to do, to dive into that yeah. but there's so much authoritarianism now and on on top of everything i'm afraid and i can already see uh, elements of that playing out, uh, you know, it's the, the war is only going to strengthen that. 
And of course, we, like the independent journalists, are going to be the first victims of that, by the way. But that's, you know, yeah, I don't want to complain yeah. here. That's another story. But I mean, there is the, 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 the democracy that the West, um, you know, this is one of the, the things that a lot of people don't understand, <clears throat> is that the reason why America would like um, Putin to adopt a, a, um, a more, uh, you know, democratic system like they have in, a, in in some other countries in the West and so on, is is not because they they want a government that actually rules on behalf of the people, and does things in the interest of people. Because as we as we're seeing in the, in most of the democratic countries, they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually the people are very discontented with the governments, whoever they elected to power. <clears throat> but what they the reason why the West wants this kind of government is because they can influence it better. So when, yeah. once you open up your electoral system, then, then the money, the, the people with the money from abroad can then buy TV stations to influence opinion. They can buy politicians. They can buy political parties, uh, et cetera. And et cetera. the show can so, go on, right? Like, yeah, no so problem. Get, Whatever, whoever get, wins the elections, they, yeah. the elections are always won. Yeah. That's the... Yeah, but they, so they can, they, can then, they can then have much greater influence over over these countries, that's what the real reason why they. I know that sounds very cynical, but that's actually the truth. That's that's why yeah, they want yeah. these democratic systems in Russia and elsewhere. You know, so um, so that's so that's uh, where, where we are in terms of um, uh, you know, the background of why how America's treated treated um, uh, Russia generally, and then we come on to the question of NATO. <clears throat> now, I, I don't want to repeat because I think this is this point has been made so many times. Um, by on other channels, but I think most of us are all aware about the the promises that were made to made to the um, the Soviet Union. Not one inch. Not one yeah, inch. Yeah, they the would. They, they would. Yeah, that the, I think that was James Baker promised them exactly one inch uh, NATO, one inch Westwards, right? Um, and um, but also it's interesting that you, if you look at and again the the comparisons been made with um, Cuba in 1962, isn't it that yeah. When uh, when Russia installed um, soldiers and nuclear weapons on Cuba's soil, um, uh, didn't matter about the United Nations. It never came mm-hmm. into it really. They, they they debated it in the United Nations, but no, the Charter was never even mentioned. They that mm-hmm. America was willing to uh, have a military, it was willing to have a nuclear war over that question. So, <clears throat> and now they're talking about. Um, uh, going up, uh, you know, going right up to yeah, the Yeah, but if I, if I may, if I may here, uh, let's just clarify yeah. this, because this comparison is, of course, I think to an extent accurate. Some call it, uh, you know, Cuban, Cuban <clears throat> missile crisis in reverse. Uh, some point out that it's not exactly in reverse because uh, there were military installations in Turkey uh, first involved, uh, I mean, Western military installations in Turkey that were going to be there, and then, Gor- uh, sorry, Gorbachev, sorry, Khrushchev, was, uh, yeah. uh, uh, had this idea that uh, he later realized to install uh, the missiles, you know, in Cuba. And then, you know, what mm-hmm. happened? And there, and here is the, the part that makes sense to, to sort of, this is the, the part of the comparison that really makes sense. Because what, what, what happened then is that Kennedy said, Mr. Khrushchev, take those rockets or those missiles out of Cuba, or if you don't, we're going to take them out. And this is precisely what happened in November and December last year, when Mr. Putin was trying to say to all, you know, Mr. to all other misters like you know Biden, mm. Schultz's, Macron's, and so <clears throat> like take this thing 
you know, out of my doorstep. Because if it continues, I'm going to react. I'm going to take it down myself. And they all thought that it's just a bluff, you know, no, like, you know, he's not going to do that. He's too weak. And, and like, I don't know what their thoughts were. This is just my speculation, right? But they never thought that someone would dare militarily intervene against, you know, uh, Western uh, policies, <coughs> even if they were threatening directly. And I think we can agree on this, regardless of what we think about Putin and his views and, you know, the regime there and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. This was Ukraine in the form and shape that was programmed to be after the 2014 coup was, was and continues, remains to be a direct threat to, you know, the national security, okay, of the capitalist Russia, as it is today. <clears throat> well, they have... Um... You mentioned the the, the four, uh, you know, 2014 coup. A lot of people are not aware that before the coup, um, the that uh, Ukraine was actually neutral. Um, yeah. uh, it, it had it in its constitution that it couldn't join NATO, and this mm -hmm. has been the this has been the, the agreement between <clears throat> you know Russia and uh, America and the other relevant states and Ukraine um, in the in the in the years following the breakup of the Soviet Union. So. And then, of course, the, one of the main purposes of the coup, uh, which which most people are not not following that closely, was to change the constitution of Ukraine so that it could allow it to join NATO. And now, of course, now people say, well, <clears throat> uh, you know that well, it's no chance of joining NATO is there because of all these problems in in Ukraine. But what they don't realize was that <clears throat> that wasn't in the, the, the plans of the Americans was that 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 Ukraine would join NATO. But then uh, it, all their all their plans were upset by the fact that um, Putin um, took over the Crimea and and also helped um, uh, the breakaway republic. So as a result, um, <clears throat> you then had a you had territorial disputes ongoing in Ukraine. So therefore, under the rules of NATO, they couldn't they couldn't join. Oh yeah, but I, I have be... no I have no doubt <clears throat> that they would actually go ahead and actually break their own provisions. I mean, they've done oh, that, that in, that's, in the past. That, that's a possible. Yeah. That, in fact, in fact, if you listen, if you listen carefully to some of the the statements is on that, it seemed that they were going, they were moving in that direction, that they'd make an exception or or something. And on top of that, um, <clears throat> they were actually making, you know, Ukraine was becoming a de facto um, um, NATO state. You know, because they were they were involving all their military in these common exercises. They were importing all these um, uh, all these trainers. They were bringing all these weapons. So it was virtually becoming a NATO state more and more. So that maybe that's why Putin became particularly angry about this, and he saw this thing developing. So that, you know, <clears throat> but anyway, I I think that um, um, you know we can see all these examples now. Another question, of course, about NATO is. Um, there's been an argument that NATO is a defensive military alliance. <clears throat> but I think we've seen from the evidence of the last um, period that uh, what these wars in uh, Yugoslavia, in exactly. Libya, in Afghanistan, yeah. even these, they've even got, even got ongoing African missions and so on. How are they defensive? <clears throat> I mean, they're not even, these are, apart from Yugoslavia, they're not even wars in Europe. It's supposed to be a European, North American treaty organization mm -hmm. what the heck why are they going around the world exactly uh, you know like nato and a stands for north mm. atlantic as far as i'm concerned russia is not on the north atlantic you know or ukraine exactly so so anyway um uh <clears throat> um 
uh, we go. Yeah, so I think, <clears throat> I mean, we, there's a lot being said about NATO. Perhaps we should move on to the, what's been happening in Ukraine itself. Exactly. Um, but before before we go there, before we go ah, there, I just right. want to close this segment. But yeah. I also want to add one more thing here. You know, uh, it's hmm. it's important to say that this status, <clears throat> this uh, neutral status or, or I uh, perhaps a status of, of a certain balance was important not only in, in international in this international dimension but also in the internal dimension because people are not aware of that uh, you know Ukraine I mean people in Eastern Europe are aware of that most most of those who, who actually follow what's happening in, on the public arena but or, or you know are familiar with the history of their own region but in the west people don't know that ukraine was not and it has like has never been since its inception in 1991 a stable coherent you know country like we know from uh from other parts of europe Ukraine has always been a very divided country between its West and its sure. East, between the people in the West, between the people in the West. And we're talking about, you know, even the very identification of the citizens of Ukraine, many of them, you know, identifying exactly as this ethno-national kind of, uh, uh, like using this ethno-national um, uh, categories okay to define themselves like in the west in particular but then there are those you know identifying themselves as ukrainians but really russian leaning russian identifying ukrainians i mean many call them mm -hmm. you know in ukraine particularly today you know russians and and they've done a very bad job actually trying to to to, to come into any kind of agreement after 2014 <clears throat> because they were denouncing them all the time as russian you know agents of influence or agents of kremlin and stuff like that mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. eventually turned into this bloody conflict that was <clears throat> that has been going on for eight years but what, what i want to say is that you know the president uh, of, of of ukraine Viktor yanukovych who was overthrown okay in 2014 he is uh, he has been deemed by western media corporate media as pro-russian and that's why he had to be ousted by you know the democracy wanting demanding uh ukrainian mm -hmm. nation and democracy always comes with the west so they were the the the, the demonstrations and and the ukrainian nation was like sort of uh, uh trying to attach ukraine to the west which is democracy and so on so so this is not true first of all i want to say that Viktor yanukovych <coughs> was not pro-russian he was just a person that understood who understood that you know the balance must be maintained at all costs because otherwise disaster will unfold and you know, everyone knew that in 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 the uh, Ukrainian uh, political class. And I want to say here, uh, to the credit of Russia, by the way, and to the credit of Yanukovych, that they when when this when this European Union deal was uh, floated, then Russia didn't say no, despite the fact that it was obviously you know over the top. Okay, for them, and and I think even for the balance uh, that I mentioned, that was important for the Ukrainian stability. But okay, they said, fine, you want to go for this European Union membership? All right, but we have to do it together, because there are so many uh, there are so many elements that connect the Ukrainian economy, that, and and they were they were in place already then. Uh, there were so many elements, you know, connecting the Ukrainian and the Russian economy. Like, for example, oh. the question of the customs and so on and so forth. So we have to do it together. And also the reason why Yanukovych and uh, a large part of, large portion of the Ukrainian 
ruling class was prepared to actually do that is because of the dire economic situation that the country was in. Of course, it's, it was much better th than it is, it is now, but still it was very dire. And they were hoping that they're going to get some money. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. problems occurred the moment the first draft of the deal was put on Yanukovych's desk. And he started going all through it and it was like, fine, fine, values, democracy, human rights, all the rest of it. Yeah, where's the money? Where's the mm -hmm. money? That was, you know, the question that, that, that popped up. And then the European Commission, I can't remember, unfortunately, who uttered that phrase. I can't remember whom exactly, but someone from the European Commission, I don't know whether it was Juncker or some other bureaucrat, they said, no, no, it's not about money. It's about... So a civilizational choice, choice. that yeah, Ukraine must choice. make. And, you mm -hmm. know, no one in Ukraine was prepared to make that civilizational choice, whatever, you know, it's supposed to mean. And, and this is, you know, when, when things started to get tough, this is when they figured out that they actually have to go for the hardline scenario and they organized this coup. But anyway, you're right. Uh, let's close down this segment. I want to thank you, Pat, for all the comments I want to thank no our viewers and listeners for being with us. And I want to invite you, of course, to see the first part of our conversation and the next part of our conversation. We're going to be back shortly. And meanwhile, uh, please don't forget to go to our Patreon page, patreon.com uh, <clears throat> slash the barricade, where to the extent that you feel you can afford, you can support Eastern European independent journalism. Thank you.